Hi, this is Dion Baig from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 49. Welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake, and here with me, as always, is Sandy McKay. Hello, Rob. How's everything going tonight? Really good. Really good. And we did something a little different tonight. We actually recorded our interviews before the intro. Because we had three guests on tonight, or, or four guests actually, but three, um, two guests, uh, two different guests, and one couple who have all completed their first project. Because we've had a couple of people ask us about learning from some newbies and what they learned going through their first project. So we thought we'd reach out to three of them tonight and talk about their projects. And take it back old school. We used to do it this this way, so we're going back. Oh, probably two years. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right, actually. So before we get going, let's uh, remind the listeners to check us out on our website, BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca. I log on there and grab our free report, The 7 Freedom Activators. You can trigger in your property starting right now. Totally free on the website there and uh, go download it and, and have a quick read through it. It'll really help you really gain more time back in your life when you're renovating, owning, and uh, managing properties. And you know what? We have gotten an amazing amount of reviews now. We've got 71 reviews on iTunes. I'd like to tell you that they were all five stars, but uh, actually only 66 of them are five stars. We got three four-star reviews and two three-star reviews. But uh, that's great, man. 71 ratings on iTunes, which I looked like nobody else really doing what we're doing has those kind of numbers. So that was really impressive. And thanks, everybody, for uh, taking some time to write down what you thought about our show. And I would encourage anyone who hasn't done that to go over and have a look and help us out. It really does get the information about this show out there to more people somebody who was looking through this person's reviews would see it now that they've written a review for us so it uh, just exponentially helps us grow so please take some time and go out there and give us a five-star review and tell us what you like about the show i do have uh looks like two more new ones since last time we did a show sandy so they're not too long i'll read those now so this one is actually by uh, someone that calls himself Middle Class Man. And he says, awesome Canadian real estate investing podcast. I have listened to almost all of your episodes. Thank you so much for the great content and amazing guest interviews. God bless you and all the best. 
Noel. And the second one is from D.A. Gilbert. It's another five star, so thank you very much. And it says, great Canadian content, relevant and timely subjects brought to us by expert superstars in the Canadian real estate investing world. Rob and Sandy, love your banter. Also love the way you get down to business and ask the hard questions. And probe when we need more info. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast is always queued up for my drive from Barrie to Durham, York to Midland, and more REI meetup groups. Thanks, guys. Great work. Cool. Yeah. So those are that's, that's a really good one. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I guess to preface the guests that we have on, they're all talking about their first rental project and the thing that's really specific to all three of these guys is that they've done it with a uh, buy fix refinance and then rent pro- uh, project or a BFRR for short I guess which is a pretty popular strategy you can think of it sort of as a regular fix and flip but in a lot of cases they're forcing a higher value by adding a secondary suite but then you essentially flip the property back to yourself instead of selling it to somebody else. Is that fair to say, Sandy? Yeah, it's a hybrid. I mean, a hybrid of the fix and flip with the with the buy and hold, really. Yeah, so I mean, it's a good way to just add a forced appreciation where if you were just going to fix up a house and then sell it, you could make some money doing that. Lots of people do, but when you change the use, there seems to be a lot more of money being able to be pulled back out. Plus, you get to keep the property in the way that these guys have done it. So it's really interesting. And uh, I appreciate all these guys coming on and taking some time to tell us about their first projects. So we had Svey Pavic, who did his project in Scarborough. And then Sean Castellino, he did his in Oshawa, as well as Darren Walker and Danielle Oliveira, who did their projects in Oshawa as well. And they all actually had some different and interesting things to say about the process and, you know, just their experience and what they went through, what they'd change, all of those kind of things, the challenges that they had. So uh, I think there's a lot to learn from this, Sandy. Totally. I think uh, it's, it's a fantastic strategy. And you know what the cool thing is? A lot of these these projects that we're talking with these folks about tonight are it's either their first one or it's like their second one. You know, they haven't been doing this for years and years before getting into this. It's a little more advanced of a strategy, yet I think pretty much anyone there can out there can tackle it, even if it's your very first one. You're absolutely right. Like it was their first for each of these guys. It's their first rental project. Like they it seemed to me that they had um, some buy like a buy and hold before right. that. And then this would be their second one where they actually did a lot of renovations. And for the most part, these guys didn't really sound like newbies. Um, that's one thing I got to point out is that they taken the right amount. Well, now, of course, they're like speaking about it in retrospect, but they did the right amount of education to get started and then they took action and these are all the things they've learned along the way yeah so i guess without further ado here is our first interview with uh svay pavic 
Okay, so like I was saying, today we're talking to people who have completed their first buy, fix, and refi and rent project. Right now we have Sve Pavic with us. Thanks, Rob. So my, my full name is Sve Bor, which even for, I'm from uh, Croatia actually, from the Slavic part. So even for for that side of the country, it's a very uh, unique name. I guess my parents had to dig deep in some kind of ancient book in my country to find that name. That's like the equivalent of like a Trevor or something like that, wouldn't it be? Some, it would like honestly. I think there's only two or three people in the world who have the same same name as me. As at least what I can tell from a Google search. <laughs> uh, well, so that's, that's good. That is good. Yeah. Unique. Makes yeah unique exactly. All right. Well, thank you for being here again. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, great to have you. Could you give us a brief intro in, into your background and how you got interested in real estate? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess my story is probably like the same, I guess, with most people when uh, they get into their adulthood. So I was uh, I was studying at university at the time at U of T. I was originally in the business program and fate events turned and I ended up studying something else. And I, you know, I quickly realized that all of my friends who were graduating were having a really hard time finding a job in the job market. And even some of these guys, you know, had um, engineering degrees and stuff like that. And even them were having a, a hard time. So I knew that, you know, the old education system of just going to university, getting educated and getting a job is pretty much gone out the window. And from then on, I realized that, you know, I had to kind of secure my own financial freedom. Um, so I started doing, you know, a bunch of reading and I'm sure everyone does the same thing. And they go to the um, rich dad, poor dad books. So that was one of the big motivators for me and getting me interested in real estate, you know, reading as much as possible. Um, so I, I, it was around university that I really got interested, I guess, in the whole passive cash flow. And then it was just uh, what's the best vehicle for that. So I still think real estate is the best, uh, if not one of the best vehicles um, for that. And then I, and then how we actually got into it was uh, we were really big on watching the income property show. And that's when I started reading about um, rental properties. And so we were watching that show with Scott McGalvray and we actually ended up going to a bunch of his conferences. And so we ended up learning a bunch through there and I bought his books and stuff, which were really super helpful and I recommend for anyone else. And then we just, we just decided to bite the bullet and, and we did our, and I, we purchased our first house by the time I was age 24. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. So, tell us a little bit about that house then. That's the yes. one that you did the uh, that you've done the buy, fix, refi, and rent on. Yeah. So I still think like the best real estate rental strategy is buy the fixer upper, fix it up. You know, either yourself or by hiring contractors or a mix of both, which is what we did, and then refine it and rent out the property. So legal um, basement apartment is the kind of bread and butter. So we bought a detached. Uh, bungalow house in the Scarborough area, which is one, I would say one of the best areas in the GTA to invest in still because the price of detached bungalows is still affordable, relatively affordable, quote unquote. Um, and you can find a lot of these, you know, houses that are built in the seventies that are all original, um, you know, have hardwood floors, all that kind of stuff. And as long as they're maintained properly, you can pretty much fix them up for a reasonable cost. And the the benefit of getting the, the bungalow and why the bungalow is such a good investment is because of the square footage and the floor plan of the basement. So our so we built a 
a legal two-bedroom basement apartment, um, and it walks out to the backyard. So we have a pretty big backyard, and it has uh, like a very large window, and it has like an open concept uh, kitchen living room area. And I think that is one of the big, I guess, selling points for that uh, rental apartment. And, um, you know, most people don't even, you know, are, are shocked when they see it um, because they can't believe that it's a basement apartment. So, like, I, I, what I would recommend is finding a detached bungalow with a so the requirements for us were a, a side entrance so a separate side entrance already existing proper ceiling height so six foot seven minimum under uh, bulkheads and uh and making sure that there's ample windows and egress and ideally uh some sort of walkout okay yeah just so that you have a, a different way for the person to get into the basement yeah um, and that's what you guys did put it in the lower level right yeah, we put um, like a basement apartment, but we actually built one completely from scratch, which I think is probably one of the most challenging renovations. It's good in the sense of that you can completely design the floor plan yourself, but it's also the most amount of work and probably the most expensive. So like the return on investment is probably not as high as if you bought something that already had a kitchen and plumbing and stuff like that, you know, and then it was just a refresh and maybe a couple walls, but here was, we literally did the demo ourselves. We put it back to the studs and then we got um, an architect and then we, we hired a contractor that did, I would say like about 80% of the work. And then we just did the stuff that we, that we found that we, we could do reasonably like we did the demolition. So we saved money there and the garbage disposal. And then we did uh, the laminate flooring and the painting and the kitchen install and uh, backsplash and stuff like that. Just like simple stuff. So I think that the key really for everybody listening, because there's been a lot of requests for people who have just done their first project and sort of the troubles that they've had along the way. But you mentioned briefly that uh, that strategy seems to be like the bread and butter of a lot of people. So can you go a little bit further into that? Maybe tell us why you chose that strategy specifically. And, 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 and like you said, you picked a project where you had to do the whole thing from scratch. That's a big project for someone doing their first one. So why did you pick that as well? Uh, I guess I, I guess I'll touch on I guess the challenges of of real estate investing, and specifically with looking for something with a legal basement apartment in in really the GTA. You're basically once so we we ended up finding an agent. So that, that was another part that I want to touch up. It's really important to find a good agent that you can work with and one that has some level of experience in investing or has the right mindset as you, because if they don't understand what you're trying to do and if they're not on the same page, you won't even see the right type of houses. So we had one agent who was showing us houses that, you know, the ceiling height wasn't there. So um, th that, that kind of stuff is important because it's so costly to excavate, to dig down and do all that other stuff. You won't have it in the budget. Um, to to then also fix up and stuff like that. So that's why you want the separate entrance. That's why you want the ceiling height and everything like that, because most of then your costs are literally just renovating and creating the basement apartment as opposed to excavating or creating a side entrance and so forth. So the first thing is like finding a really, really good agent. Um, and that was actually a really hard challenge for us because um, we went like one of the agents went through like completely was not showing us what we wanted. So we had to fire that person. And then we found another agent who was also so finding an a, a real estate agent who specializes in income properties and investing is difficult. Like there's only a handful of them. And Robin and you guys are like one of the few people that I know that I found online who actually do this stuff. Right. So some of them might not be as 
as public. They might just be inner investing circles or stuff like that. So, um, but it's very difficult to find someone who actually has the knowledge and they'll, and we wasted a lot of time at the beginning. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was finding the properties. So I guess the location is the hardest because you have to find a location where there are, you know, like it's up and coming, but the prices haven't risen too much. So pretty much anything in Toronto proper is out of scope, at least for our budgets. So our budget was we were targeting for 400 on a purchase price plus renovation. So um, total, we were all in for like 450. So we ended up finding actually a house for 400 that we got that we got down 30,000 under under asking. And then we actually got something called a purchase plus mortgage, um, which is available through certain uh, financing, um, which allows you they get basically the bank gives you money or whoever's financing gives you money into your mortgage. So it's actually rolled into your mortgage to do renovation. So we got a fifty thousand dollar uh, renovation, which was rolled into the mortgage. So basically you can like, you can find these properties that are undervalued because they haven't been renovated and you can do the renovation yourself, but you won't necessarily be out of pocket for the renovation costs because at that point, you know, you got to come up with a down payment, you got to come up with a closing, you got to come up with a renovation. So, you know, that's, that's, it could be a quite a bit of money versus if you can find a purchase plus mortgage, um, that's really helpful too. Yeah, so that that's a good tip. A, yeah, those are a couple of good things that, that I was uh, learning along the way. So I'm just I'm just trying to think of off the top of my head, like these kind of things. So in terms of the action, so the area, I guess we looked in Scarborough. Basically, you have to start looking at outside of the, the city core and you have to start looking further away. So the first thing is like I, why we wanted a detached property was because um, everything that I've seen, everything that I've read has, you know, every, every time any statistic I looked at the detached properties, have always increased substantially compared to semis. Not to say that semis are a bad investment. I don't think that at all. They can they can probably be really good, if not better, cash flows. But in, in terms of an appreciation, um, detached properties definitely appreciate higher. And the fact that in the GTA there's less and less detached properties available every single year, it, it's naturally going to increase in price. And then the second thing with the bungalow is the fact that they have a massive basement. Apartment. So that was really the key was we were we were looking for a house that we could build a basement apartment. So that's and I guess most investors are looking that way as well. So like unlike the pro, the traditional residential purchase, people are looking, OK, you know, is it nice? Is that three bedroom? Like, no, our main thing was honestly it. Uh, what is the floor plan and can it accommodate a basement apartment for a reasonable price? And it is. And is it in a decent and like good enough neighborhood? So that was our property, and we ended up in Scarborough. We we're also looking in Oshawa, which is where we're looking now for our second property. But uh, we went to Scarborough just because it was a bit closer um, for my commute and for work and stuff like that. And it's still close enough to the uh, city core that you like. I can get downtown without traffic in 20 minutes, or get to the west end to my work in like half an hour and stuff like that. So um, still relatively close. So yeah, finding the neighborhood is really important. Um, that you could, you know, ideally a detached property is my preference. Sven, could you touch a little more on the purchase plus improvements? Like how much did you put oh, down sure. to make that work and what were the terms of yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So the purchase plus, like it's only off. So it was, this one was through Scotiabank. So I know that, I know that there's a couple of other uh, banks or financing companies that offer purchase plus, like not everyone offers it and you have to qualify for it too. So another thing I want to actually touch on was, how much we put down. So I was under the mindset that 
the sooner that I bought a property and the sooner that we built it and, you know, had rent coming in, the better. So whether it was 5%, 10%, 20%, whatever I could afford to get into that house, I, I did. So we actually only put down 5%. So that was like 22,000 or something like that, plus closing costs. Basically, we we're, were around 30,000, let's say, to round it off, like for, for the down payment, the closing costs and whatever, all the other fees. Yeah. Um, so we only put down 5%. So we did get hit with that CMHC uh, insurance, and that was roughly around 10000 But that's rolled into your mortgage. So it does, like, set you back when you're on payments. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, with with the monthly payment, that's how I kind of how I thought about it was, what is the monthly payment going to be? Oh, and the term was 25 years, by the way. So I couldn't get a third. Like, they're really now they're getting a lot stricter on financing. So I couldn't get a 30 year term, and you can't with if you're CMHC insured now. So it was 25 year term. So my monthly payment is a lot higher than if I did a 30 year term or a 35 year term. So it really came down to the monthly payment and, and the down payment, and then how much projected I could get in rent. And so, yeah, so on the purchase plus, I mean, there's, I mean, you have to work with, the, I've, I've found a good mortgage broker. Uh, you have like I would say just find a good mortgage broker and for, in terms of the purchase plus like that's kind of all kind of the information I have it's like you apply to qualify for it certain places will approve you it's not like you can get it everywhere basically yeah and you got 50 uh, 50,000 in this case correct yeah it was so how they do it I think is 10% of your purchase price or something so it, we had like 400 or we yeah it was a 400,000 purchase price and I think we got like 40 grand or something or just over 40 grand but we were approved up to 50 grand. But then it, it's basically, I think it's 10% of how much, I think you're maxed out at 10% of the purchase price of the property. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so, and, but oh, one, one actually really key piece of information with the Purchase Plus to not mislead other people listening to this is that you actually only get the money at the end. So once right. the project is completed. Yeah, so it's not on it's not on a draw or anything like that. It's no, you do it and we come in and we appraise it and if you've done a good enough job, right. then we'll give you then we'll give it to you. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but that was a really important distinction because our mortgage I guess with all the stuff going on, like that was something I don't know, I'm not gonna blame it on mortgage broker or anything like that, but maybe it was like just an oversight on my part. So when we got it, we're like, Okay, we're ready to start build, I gotta pay the contract. But like they're like, Oh, you're not actually getting the money until afterwards and we have to come in and inspect it and make sure that whatever you paid for is actually done. So I guess they also don't want people you know, taking the money and then I don't know, just doing like some flimsy renovation, saying, "Oh yeah, that's what I spent my forty grand," and then pocketing the money. They mm-hmm. actually want to secure it against the house, the value of the house. So they have their own appraiser that comes in, but that did prove challenging because for that duration of the project build, I had to pull off money from a line of credit, you know, which I incurred a little bit of interest, um, and then I had to pay off. So um, if you don't have a line of credit or something like that available and you're banking on that money, it's like you're going to have to come up a way to finance that renovation. Um, you know, worst case scenario, it's on credit cards, but you don't want to get there because the interest rates are too high. But, you know, it, as long as the, the bill doesn't take that long, um, you should be okay. That was like my backup plan was I was like, okay, worst case, I'll throw everything on a credit card and in like a month, I'll I'll pay it all off. But I didn't have to do that because I had a, another line of credit I could use. Oh, good. Okay, well, thank you. That was a, actually a really pretty in-depth look at that. So that's great. Thanks. Um, now, what what do you think was the biggest challenge that you faced in your project? 
Yeah, so one of, uh, I'll tell you a couple, but I'll, the, one of the ones that I wanted to touch on was actually on, on the financing piece, and it's it's um, the fact of getting a loan. So I think the most most people are stuck up on that part. They'd be like, so I'm self-employed. I have my own company. Um, I'm a IT project manager. I do consulting for that. Um, so the way that I show my income is very different than a salaried employee. So one of the challenges that I faced was actually getting approved for financing. So even though I had the, all the money and everything like that, it was the bank still being like, oh, well, you only paid yourself whatever, 40000 50000 last year. It's like, well, clearly I made more than that, but I'm not going to pay, you know, because it, 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 as a self-employed person, the more you pay yourself right. um, or you pay in taxes. So really you just want to pay yourself your expenses and keep the rest in the company. Yeah. Um, so, but the banks don't see it that way, unfortunately. They used to. There used to be something called stated income, where they used to be able to be like, okay, give me all your business papers, and based on how much money your business is making, then we'll kind of approve you on that. But they don't do that anymore. So actually, um, we had to find a cosigner. So luckily, my parents were uh, were willing to cosign for us, um, and that and that was literally just to get the property. And then we removed the cosigners um, as soon as the following year happened that I could prove, yeah, you know, I put all the money, I paid everything. And then we had the rental income too. Um, so we had all that. So that was fine. So I think one of the biggest things is like if you can't get financing, my advice is find someone who will cosign you. Like parents is the best place to start um, if they're willing. And literally it could just be like, look, I need you guys just to back me on this for a year. You guys, We'll get your name off in one year time. And if – if they really want, you can even offer them like we'll give you X amount of money, a couple thousand, whatever. If it's not a friend, if it's not a family member, if it's a friend, or you can even approach it with an investor and stuff like that. But just getting that financing is like is I think like was tricky, especially as self-employed. But I would say find a way to make it work, and you can always go with a non-conventional financing route, and you know go for something with a higher interest rate as long as it may, the long the property will cash flow. Like it doesn't really matter. Um, you know exactly how much you're paying as long as you're making money from it at least that's my viewpoint so um so that was one of the big things another like uh really really big thing i think for us was we 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 you know we read a lot of books we we watched all the all every single episode of income property we've seen so we've seen that but it's now okay the actual fact of doing it and finding this property and the thing is is that you actually won't know everything you'll never you'll never have enough knowledge for everything that's one thing i've learned is like you can't wait until you get all this knowledge to do something actually most of the knowledge you get is by doing something the actual act itself so taking action so um we immediately once we found the agent we just started looking at houses and once you look at enough houses you can literally walk in the door within five seconds and tell will this house will this house work or not um, from a floor plan perspective, from a layout perspective for the basement apartment. Um, so actually the, the biggest challenge is probably dealing with contractors. And we got, we almost got burned. Like we did get burned in a sense, but we almost got burned, um, because our project should have been six weeks. But in fact, it ended up being extended six months. And the reason was because our, the, the company that we hired, by the way, it was a very reputable company. I'm not going to say their name just because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to bash them or anything, but well, I'll never use them again. But they're um, top company on Homestars. So this is a tip for anyone. If you're looking to hire a contractor, don't only go on the reviews on Homestars. Like actually um, call their past references, look at their work, try to interview as many people as possible. So what ended up happening was this um, contractor, like this big company, um, we signed the contract and everything like that. 
And then there was just constant delays and um, communication was terrible. I had I was pretty much calling them every single day just to make sure that they were working on some part of the project. Um, there was ton, countless mistakes happened, you know, because they're they're sub they have a team, so they subcontract. And then some then the line of communication failed somewhere and somebody fucked up and didn't follow the floor plan or didn't do. Oh, sorry, excuse my language, by the way. <laughs> you can bleep that out. Um, but somebody messed up. So there was there was a lot of delays. So uh, a big tip I can give people is when you're writing the contract, like that is the most important piece. Next to buying the house is if you're hiring a contractor, is making sure that contract is, is tight. And, and even finding someone who will agree to your terms might be difficult. So it was really difficult actually even getting bids for the contract. Like I have people show up and they just look at the base and be like, 100 grand. I'm like, well like break it down for me where did you get that they're like oh it's 100 grand we're not going to do it i'm like okay well we're not going to use you so after going through like 10 contractors we found like three that were giving us a quote with a detailed breakdown and stuff like that so yeah i think dealing with contract is the hardest and contract management the good thing is that my work i deal with contracts a lot and we deal with like uh, 50 million 100 million dollar contracts so i kind of knew what to look for so um, the most important thing in a contract is you need a, uh, aside from the price and the scope of work, is you need a fixed start and end date, and you need contract penalties into the contract if the vendor does not deliver on the specified timeline. So I would put something in the contract to the term of, you know, uh, for every day that the project is not completed on time. 5% will come off the price or for every week, 10% off, like something that both of you will agree to that's fair, but that will also keep them because at the end of the day, um, the contractors, there's going to be a, a, a payment schedule or a payment structure. So they want like 10% upfront for materials and then 15% mm -hmm. through the first stage and then 20% through the second stage. So your job right, to protect yourself, your job is how can I, and, and, and this is not like greedy or bad is how can I protect myself? How can I keep as much money or have as much leverage at the end of the project? Because what ended up happening with us is that we had all these contract penalties in place and everything, but we've already dispersed about like, let's say 85% of the money. So if, you know, by the way, our, our basement co um, cost $40,000 to build. And then we saved about 10 to 20,000 ourselves by doing everything else. So it doesn't cost, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to build a basement. That would have been pure profit for the other contractors. So, um, 40, 50,000, you know, roughly is, is pretty decent if they're doing like the, the, I would say like 80% of the work. Um, and by the way, this doesn't include materials, right? Um, in terms of like finishes, it just includes contractors materials. So yeah, making sure that contract is airtight, start end dates, um, contract penalties, um, that kind of stuff, because worst case scenario, if you have to go to court, if these guys just flake on you, you know, at least you have something in place. Like it's a lot of money to be dishing out. And the word, the, the hardest, like the worst thing for me was coming home from work and seeing that no work has been done to my basement mm -hmm. and the basement literally all it needed was fire rated doors and some, and a few other things. And because they did the wrong measurements, something happened. The fire rated doors didn't fit. The fire rated door would have to be custom cut. The, the supplier for the fire rated doors, um, for some reason, they had a shortage. So then, like, all of that ended up dragging out and mistake after mistake. It ended up being from a six-week project to almost a six-month. The good thing is, um, at the end, because of, because of what was in the contract, we actually um, didn't pay him the full amount. So we kind of just – they finished. And then because of the delays, 
we we basically took them out and said, okay, we could rent the basement for X amount of dollars every single month, and it's in the contract that you guys didn't deliver on time, so we're just going to take that off the top. So we actually ended up saving money, but you know, it wasn't a real saving because we could have rented it out in that time, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good, interesting. So what? There's a lot of lessons there. Yeah, there's a lot of them there. Oh, by the way, I just I just want to uh, tell you guys that um and and for the listeners and stuff is that I'm I'm I will be also starting my own blog um on real estate and also on other stuff like I uh I sell on Amazon. Um we just uh, opened up our own Etsy business and stuff like that my wife and I. So, I'm going to I'm if anyone wants more info, they can feel free to reach out to me and when I uh, I'm still working on the blog, but I'll have definitely more like in-depth into like um, what I'm mentioning here, but in, in, in even more detail in the blog. Okay, yeah, great. And where do they go to hear about that? Yeah, so um, it was, honestly, I've, I've been wanting I've been wanting to launch it, but you know, I've, I've had a, I want to get at least a couple of base articles, some really good long articles up there before I do. So uh, for the time being, if everyone if anyone wants to reach out to me, I'll just give away my uh, personal email address, which is my first name S V E. Uh, period, my last name, P-A-V-I-C at gmail.com um, and then I can send them the link uh, when it's ready or when you guys uh, put on the podcast or whatever, we can always update it. Maybe I'll have the site launched by then and I'll probably definitely put this podcast uh, on there for other people to hear as well. Do you have the URL right now? No, I don't. I have, like, I'm playing with a couple of ideas. Oh, okay. so I, have, I, have, right. I haven't bought the domain name. I have a couple of ideas, but I might just buy a couple of them, but um, I kind of want to like sell, like nail down the name first too. But okay, we'll we'll see we'll see what it is. My goal was to launch it before we did this, but with us other businesses going on, we've kind of been busy with that. So, what lesson did you learn that you think was the most valuable out of all that? Yeah, so it is making sure that you have an airtight contract and making sure that you have contract penalties for the supplier, um, finding the right contractor, calling, literally being like, who are your references? Give me a couple of your references and calling them and trying to escape them out, scope them out. And then also looking um, on that Homestars and looking for any reviews that aren't perfect. Because what a lot of these guys do is if there isn't a perfect review on Homestars or whatever the review website is, I'm not singling out Homestars or anything like that, whatever the review website is, if there isn't a perfect review, they'll, even if they're a big company, they'll get someone to reach out to you and be like, hey, you know, we see you have a bad experience. Can we basically, you know, either get you to change your mind, you know, monetary wise somehow. So I think a lot of those negative reviews don't make it through. Um, or they, they just might be, uh, they end up getting, getting removed or taken down or something. So, you know, don't always trust the reviews, do your own investigative work, do your own detective work. And, uh, and, and at the end of the day, the contract is what you're going to end up falling back on. So make sure that you get, you know, an airtight contract. And if you need to look, just Google, uh, contract requirements or, you know, things to put in a contract and stuff like that. So there's a whole slew of stuff, um, outside of that. But I think the contract penalty on the delay on timeline is the most important. You know, something that I've sort of come up with, too, is that when you're having somebody quote on a job, I mean, obviously, it's not right for everybody to go out and do this on the first one. But if you get, let's say, somebody to break it down, like when you found the right contractor, they broke it down and showed you exactly what they were going to do. Now, if you took their scope of work and gave it to the next contractor and said, this is exactly what I want you to quote on, then you would know when you look at one their scope of work is exactly the same as the other one, and then you can compare the price that way too. 
Yeah, that, that's actually a really good point because you want to make sure that you're 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 comparing apples to apples too, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't want one guy quoting you for quartz countertops and another guy, you know what I mean? So you want to make sure that the scope of work is identical. Ideally, you get, like you said, you get the person to give you the breakdown and then you just pass it to another guy. But, you know, um, it's it was actually, it was really difficult. It was really difficult get, getting uh, these contracting companies to even give me a breakdown um, itemized. Like I think only one or two gave me a quote breakdown like itemized by by phase with an actual price some of them just um priced it like you know like 10,000 here 15,000 here whatever but to actually get you know uh, a semi detailed quote was actually difficult but if you can definitely do that and and compare and then you can even use that as a room for negotiation and stuff like that mm-hmm. so is there one thing you'd change next time if you to do this i'm mean, sure you're going to do more projects again anyways but what's one thing you'll change next time um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that happened throughout the, um, the most important uh, thing okay, okay. You won't screw up again. <laughs> yeah, actually, this is, this is a big one. Um, this is actually really, really, uh, key and, and it's not, it's to do with a building, but, um, one, so we did everything like legal, which I would recommend hundred percent. Like don't, don't, uh, my recommendation is don't invest your money in building an illegal basement apartment. Because it's no, like, why risk financially all this money and time that you invested for an inspector to come out, rip it out, or God forbid there's a fire and something, or, you know, legally something happens and now you have to go to court. So number one, make sure that it's legal. So when you do it legal, you have to, you have to follow certain building codes and your contractor will know this, but if you don't, you can also call the building department. Each municipality has its own building codes and so forth. But above the building codes, there are certain things that I would have done differently. So um, we did, you know, the, you know, we did like the t- the highest rated insulation, whatever it was at the time, R34. We did double uh, eye wall. We did the noise, noise, um, noise dampening um, glue. We did all that stuff. But the one thing we didn't do and I should have done is, um, and I forgot what the product is called, but it's a type of uh, sound. I saw, I actually saw it on Income Property on Scott McGovery's show one time. I thought it was overkill, but now I, I would definitely do it. And it's, I forgot what it's called, but it's basically a, a type of paste that you paint on the ducts, um, and it reduces sound. And actually, the only sound that I could hear from the basement apartment tenants is through the ductwork. And it also depends on your layout. So our layout to maximize the square footage, how our layout worked downstairs was their living room, their kitchen. Um, upstairs, we have our two bedrooms. So we have our master bedroom and the other bedroom like directly above their living room. So we get the most amount of noise. And then our living room is above their master bedroom. Um, so I didn't realize how much sound actually travels through these ducts. And it's way more than you would think. Like if you do research on it, it's basically like a pin size, like, you know, opening or something like that carries like a ridiculous amount of sound. So, um, so this, this paste would have eliminated that. So we did have some sound issues with the first tenants because they were, and this is another lesson is, you know, try to always rent to a little bit more mature if you're living there and someone that is on the same work schedule as you. So the first sense we had, they were kind of like, you know, in their 20, early 20s and, you know, they were kind of going to school, like part time working, but their hours were all crazy. So the TV would start blaring, you know, at like one in the morning or two in the morning. And, you know, we had to message them being like, hey, can you guys just like turn it down? You know, so and that was re- and I don't think we would have really even had that issue had I taken that kind of like extra step and being like, OK, I'm just going to sp- I think it, it, at the time it would have been like maybe 500 to 
maximum a thousand dollars to do all the ductwork, and I could have done it my, like myself. It's pretty mm-hmm. simple, but just the cost of that material to just do all of that. And mind you, you, you can only do that when uh, the walls are exposed. Exactly. Once it's covered up. Yeah. If it's if it's covered up, you're you know you got you got no choice. You know what, Sve? I really appreciate you coming on tonight. You've shared a ton with us, a lot of advice for others out there on their first project. So I really appreciate this, and uh, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, no problem. I'd love to come on and do another episode. I got a bunch of uh, bunch of tidbits, lessons learned here and there, and you know stuff that you, you don't really find out in, in books and stuff. But thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it. Have a great night. Take care. Okay, everyone. Well, our next guest here with us today is Sean Castellino, and he as well has just completed his first buy, fix, and refi and rent project. So thanks for coming on, Sean. Actually, you know, you're at the point where it it's still pretty fresh. I mean, your your refi actually hasn't gone through, so it's more just a, the buy, fix, rent so far, right? Exactly, yeah. I just got it rented out last month, so uh, just on the refi Face, as you're saying yeah absolutely okay great yeah so if you don't mind starting out just can you give us a brief intro into your background and how you got interested in real estate yeah absolutely so i i think i've always been interested in real estate since a young age but uh i hadn't really started uh researching into it maybe until late 2010 2011 you know, after we bought our, me and my wife bought our principal residence and stuff, and then we said uh, we were just sick of the nine to five, and we were looking at other ways to make money, and and uh, real estate was something that we were really interested in. My dad's uh, a handyman, so he took a little bit of the uh, the unknown away. Yeah, I had a little safety net there, so uh, it was just uh, a natural thing to go into. So you say that was in 2010, 2011. So what did you do? Like that wasn't when you bought your first property. You did some education, research, and that kind of thing? Yeah, actually, sorry. Let, let me backtrack a bit. Before 2010, uh, myself and my wife had a condo. And it just so happened uh, that there was someone who worked at my dad's work and he was looking for a place to stay. He was from Montreal. Uh, my dad showed him our place and we said, you know what, we'll rent it out to him. Uh, and it, it was uh, actually a corporate renter, so the rents were about six hundred dollars more per month because the company was paying. Yeah, and that really, that really opened our eyes. We said, "Wow, uh, it was great." We rented that for a year, and then we said, "Let's start getting into this full time and start researching more more into real estate and how we could do this on a on a larger scale." Oh, perfect. Okay, okay. So yeah. then, in two thousand ten or eleven, you sort of really got the bug. And you, so you ended up buying the, your first property. When did you actually close on your first property? Well, our principal residence was bought in 2010, but it was bought with the intention to rent the basement. So uh, we we actually uh, bought, our, bought a property with a basement that was finished. And then so we kind of got into the game that way. Oh, I um, see. Okay. Yeah. So we started in 2010. Then we kind of went, uh, we tried lots of different strategies. We started with a buy and hold after that. And we went all the way to Calgary. We bought a property there. Uh, just because, you know, the f- economic fundamentals were so strong and we saw a large uh, potential for growth. Now it's kind of uh, turned upside down, but it, it definitely we got it at a great price anyway. So uh, that's a long term buy and hold. Uh, that was in 2013 that we bought that property. Then we did a little bit more research into real estate and then we stumbled upon, uh, you know, the Durham group. And we, that's how we met yourself, Rob. And uh, yeah, then we then we got into the 
uh, sort of the fix, fixing and refining and, and doing that. And it, we found it to be a much more powerful strategy. So you went out and you found a property. So I guess tell us a little bit about the property that you found and why it worked for what you were trying to do. Yeah. So first off, um, I think we were searching Rob for like uh, three months for the right property. Um, we put uh, we put a few bids on properties, but we were uh, we we lost those. But uh, we just kept going. And the great thing is, we got this property on New Year's Eve, right? So I think a lot of people weren't willing to come out on on that day. And because of that, we we were able to secure it at a great price, and uh, it, it was a solid house. So. We just saw it and we loved it, you know, at first sight. So, so what types of things did the house itself have to offer that you were looking for? Number one, I loved raised bungalows because you know you get that those large windows in the uh, in the basement, and it, it doesn't even feel like a basement in a raised bungalow. And so it had that feature right off the bat. It had uh, it had high ceilings in the basement it met that six foot five requirement six foot five foot requirement uh that basement ceilings have to be at and and it met all the the requirements uh that the city needed for it to be legal so uh it was also a solid brick house just and and it was a great size so those are the main things i liked about it new year's eve eh? that's funny (laughs) yeah um that you know what you gotta you gotta you gotta find the properties and get the right situations. I've seen a lot of people get good deals on maybe not on Christmas Eve, but right around Christmas and Thanksgiving and long weekends and things like that, where people are snoozing. So that was interesting. But what was the biggest challenge you faced in this project? Being my first time, it's um, I had to put together a team of contractors, and and finding that the right contractors to do the job was, uh, I'd say. I'd say it was one of the biggest challenges. And when I say the right contractors, I mean uh, people who, A, they had recent experience working with the city, so they knew how to look ahead uh, and, and anticipate challenges. And that was especially important for myself, uh, being a beginner in this in this um, this industry. Also, because, as you guys know, the, <laughs> the building codes changed quite a bit, right? So that's uh, so why I was saying recent experience. So I wanted contractors who, who were well aware of what the recent codes were. Uh, also contractors who, uh, they were timely, you know, whatever they said, they said they'd get back to me with a quote. They got back to me with a quote. A lot of contractors came. They, I don't, I don't know why they spend two hours with you and then they, they don't even give you a quote, right? So, uh, they had a lot of that. Uh, a contractor also I was looking for that was honest and fair, um, and quick to respond and, and especially someone who can guide me through the process because I was, I was brand new. Um, and they would take their time to explain things. Uh, which was great, great in my opinion, because I wanted that. I wanted to be handheld a little bit. So uh, that that was kind of hard. But uh, at the end, I, I found a great team of people. And, we, and we've heard that several times from other guests. Finding the right contractor is definitely something that's hard to do. And even when you think you made the right decision, sometimes it turns out that it's not. But I think if you build a good rapport with them, and if you do do those things, like provide them with a scope of work that each of them can quote on. I mean, that's kind of tough for somebody who's in and just doing their first project, I guess. But maybe if one of them does write you up a quote, you can always send it to the next guy and have him quote on the same thing. For sure, yeah. What lesson did you learn that you think was the most valuable? I'd say um, 
if I could sum it up, I'd say stay in my lane sort of thing. You know, I was trying to be uh, a little bit of a renovator as well as an investor. And it, it's not the ideal situation. There was, I, I spent like, I, I did a little bit of the framing myself. Um, I, I did some painting, uh, so, some more complex tasks. Like the framing is a little more complex than just painting. Uh, like I did backsplashes. I did some caulking. And some of the times I had to get a contractor to redo the job. Because <laughs> it wasn't too much satisfaction. Right? So not only did I waste the time, uh, they could do it in like a quarter of the time. And, and I had to pay more because I spent my time. And then I had to pay someone to fix it. So so uh, I definitely uh, learned to kind of stay in my lane. Next time I won't be doing complex things. And on top of that, too, I think you live pretty far away. Now I do, yeah, but I was uh, living in Ajax, so it wasn't too bad. But um, I moved back to Mississauga in July, so so. Uh, but by then, a lot of the rentals were done anyway. It was just like little things here and there, so so it wasn't too bad. But right, okay, okay. Well, that's good. Okay, so the biggest lesson you learned, I think, was just don't try to do it all yourself, right? For sure, that's yeah, one of the biggest lessons, definitely. Or stay in your lane, like you said. Good one. So is there anything you change or what would be a couple things you change next time or you will change next time? So you're going to do more projects. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess it's tied into the last point. I, I wouldn't take on a lot of the, you know, the complex rentals uh, myself I, at the time too. I, as I was telling Rob before, I, I, I was involved in other projects as well. Like I'm doing renovations on my principal residence as well. Um, I'm working a full-time job and I'm running a business and I have two kids, two, two, a two and a four-year-old kid. So I wouldn't take on that much stuff at once. And it wasn't like a, a pure cosmetic renovation. It was a little, a little more like the basement was totally redone. Um, so it was, I, I wouldn't take on that many projects at once. It's not, it's not a totally hands-off thing. Uh, like I didn't hire a general contractor to do it. I was mostly the general contractor on the job. So, uh, it demanded a lot of time. So can you take, can you take us through a bit more in, in detail on the numbers on this project? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we got it for uh, 305, the property. And, uh, at the time it was just a single family residence. And we converted it into a, a duplex. The unanticipated costs were there was because it had baseboard heating. Basically, we had to uh, the rule in, in Oshawa is if, if you're converting from baseboard to gas, they want uh, they want gas furnaces in both of the units, uh, the downstairs and the upstairs. So that was sort of an unanticipated cost. I thought I only have to put one furnace in. Um, so all in, so I had to do that. Then we did two electrical panels, we made it like a tr- true duplex. Um, so at the end of the day, after putting in 305, the Renos were worked out to about um, about almost 90 on the property, mm-hmm. um, and that's with everything. That's with like I'm counting appliances, um, repaving a driveway. Uh, those are all kind of the big costs. I even put in some new kitchen cabinets on one floor. But the real big cost was like those things are like the furnace is like, you know, that's 15 grand right there, you know, to run all the, uh, you know, all the ducting and stuff like that. So, so we're looking at, yeah, 90 grand. And then uh, the refi, we're hoping to get the comps are showing, uh, I think it's what, 525 now. Right. So say even they came in, I did a worst case scenario, like they come in at 475. Then I would think, you know, e- even with those numbers, I it's still over an eighty percent return on investment when I calculated it. So, 
and, and that was because we bought the property at a great price. You know, I, I think we got it a little undervalued too when we bought it. 80, 80, just eighty percent return. <laughs> Not bad. That's people, okay. people who are in real estate are like, like they don't even believe that stuff. I know that. You know what? That's a home run. I don't expect that to be on the second property. You know, but but that that was a, a great first property, Rob. Yeah, it's almost like one of those things where, out of pure coincidence, you time the market right, and you know that's not going to happen every time. And people shouldn't bank on that kind of thing. I think it was solid, even even if the appreciation wasn't what it is right now. Just everyone be be cautious. Don't don't expect something like that. I think that one was more of a home run than most. Yeah, and at the same time too, right? It's 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 not a passive investment, right? That's why I like to remind people. Uh, I, I calculated actually all the kilometers I drove, right? Because you got to submit that to the CRA, right? And uh, it was almost five thousand kilometers for this project, right? So if you put that in perspective, it, like that's a lot. That's just my drive driving kilometers. That's not including all my time. I still have to calculate that, but. Uh, the amount of time put into that des- deserves an 83%. Like I, I know the <laughs> next property, the next property is not going to be as much time because I, I have a team now, you know, um, so it will be a little less in finding people, finding the right people, finding deals and stuff. But if, if it was less than 80%, I'd be a little unhappy. Okay. Um, so do you have any other advice for others on their first project similar to what you're doing? It sounds cliche, but, you know, like put together a great team, you know, people who can guide you. Uh, there's so many moving parts in a renovation. You de- and, and there's so many things you're not going to see, uh, no matter how hard you prepare for it. So uh, put together a great team of real estate agents, uh, mortgage brokers, contractors, lawyers, put it all together and, and take your time and, and, and just take action. You know, everyone says take action. It's so true. You just got to take action. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again, Sean, for coming on. I really appreciate it. And you know what? We'll probably touch base again with you uh, down the line, see if you've done anything else and uh, how that turned out as well. Awesome. Great. All right. Have a great night. Okay, thanks, Rob and Sandy. Bye. So our next guests are Darren Walker and Danielle Oliveira. And they have also just completed their first buy, fix, refi, and rent project where all of these people, Sandy, all added second suite. So there seems to be a trend here. Yeah, seems like a plan. It's a good good model to follow for sure. So uh, I'm excited to hear another story here. So, nice way to force some appreciation. Yeah, absolutely. So welcome, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Rob. I had to twist your arm, but finally you agreed. Yeah, a little bit. You didn't, give, okay. us, you didn't give us a choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so what, what we wanted to do first was just sort of you guys to give us a little bit of a history of why you got interested in real estate investing. And uh, I guess a little bit of a history of you guys, too. Perfect. So it all started with um, our first real estate investment was a student rental. Um, we were getting our toes wet, so we wanted more of a turnkey operation, so something that was already in place, already legalized, and we would just take it over. We didn't have to do any rentals with that, so it was an easy step for us. Uh, we got to learn all about how to navigate the financial world, um, banking systems, and city permits. Uh, so that kind of gave us a little bit 
of, I guess, experience for us to take on our second project. So our second project is what you were talking about, where we purchased it, refinanced, uh, renoed, and now have it as a rental. Uh, so that one was a lot more work on our part because it needed to be legalized. And in order for it to be legalized, a renovation needed to take place. So that required a little bit more work with the city regarding permits, also with fire inspectors, building inspectors, ESA, etc. So we had a little bit of knowledge from our first project, but the obviously our second project was way bigger. So we purchased it in... Oh gosh, Rob, you, you can correct me here. Valentine's Day. We purchased it on Valentine's Day and we closed in April. Does that make sense, Rob? Yeah, I think that yeah. sounds about right. There's another person purchasing on a uh, holiday, Sandy. Yeah, I know. Or, well, not really a holiday, but uh, yes, I you know, not many people shopping for. No, I didn't get a Valentine's Day gift that year. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> well, actually, the funny thing is, I remember you guys. <laughs> you guys are like, we have this contract signed. Where did we drop it off? And my wife and I were out. Oh, you yeah. guys had to come to the That's restaurant and drop it off to me. That's right. Yeah. A nice local joint you were at, supporting local. Love it. <laughs> so, um, so when that came into play, when we took possession in April in the spring, prior to that, we had done some investigating in terms of what we needed to do. Uh, we knew that there was going to be some electrical work. Um, and we knew there was going to be a little bit of construction, so we hired a general contractor, uh, per se, and um, an electrician. Plumbing was minimal, so we didn't, like, that wasn't a really huge issue for us. It was more the electrical, so we knew, we just hadn't done it. We knew we were in for permits and inspections before, inspections during, and inspections after. So we were expecting it. But it was our first time, so it was also a learning experience for us. Darren, who ran the project? To say the right thing here, it was more or less I was, let's call myself the general contractor. I oversee, I oversaw the entire project. I designed everything. Does that count? The wife did all the design. <laughs> um, I did all of the demo and helped with the initial part of the construction bit, but then we hired uh, a contractor to complete the remainder due to my work schedule. Yeah, no, it was a loaded question. I just wanted to see how you handled it. Okay. But um, so can you give us a little bit of, um, so you guys, you guys needed to find the right property to do what you were looking to do. So what was like, can you describe the property itself? Well, we've learned um, just from talking with you and, and reading and looking at other properties is, you know, there's a few key things that you need to look for to make sure that you have the ability to legalize it. You know, ceiling heights and proper windows and uh, ventilation tracks and the, the frontage. The you have enough frontage to create your extra parking space. That was our our basis of where we wanted to start. Um, and then conveniently, the first tour you took us on, we ended up finding a property. So. We were also so, very uh, picky when it came to neighborhoods. I personally, he has a different opinion, but I personally like side streets as opposed to main streets, you know, for traffic reasons and parking and, and ease of getting into the property. Um, 
I liked areas where they were close to amenities, i.e. shopping and transit, because I figured if somebody's going to be renting the house, those are things that they may want to be close to. Uh, <clears throat> so those were also things that I specifically was looking for um, before I even walked into a place. I also normally say I won't buy a house in a neighborhood that I wouldn't live in. That's one, that's a good point too. One thing with Danielle and I is we're very we're very particular and picky as to where the location of the property is. I find yeah, I think that that's something really that you've got to take away from this as well. Like I have made some bad choices as far as location goes, and I mean I didn't lose my shirt or anything, but could have done much better if I had have invested in in a better area. So I would say that's a pretty key point. And actually, one one of the easiest ways to figure out if it is a good location is, uh, you know, talk to your friends and family and just mention the street or mention the area and judge their reaction. Just look at their face. <laughs> exactly. If they if they would not want to live there or if they have a sour face or they have heard of bad experiences, you know, you can kind of get a feel for what's going on in that area. And, and it will determine what type of renters they're going to have as well. You know, nobody wants to deal with that side of being it's tough enough as it is. Uh, you don't want to have to deal with tenants who are not paying, not showing up, not taking care of properties. If the only tenants you get are the ones you're afraid to talk to, you're probably in the wrong area. Exactly. Exactly. Look to the house to the right, look to the house to the left. That will also indicate what type of a street or area you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what was the, your biggest challenge you faced in this project? ESA permits. <laughs> we, got the, we got the world's worst ESA inspector on this project. Okay. <laughs> Generalized. So we did, everything, we did everything legit by the book. We got all the proper permits and went through all the inspections and all that stuff. And everything went off without a hitch. Uh, we did the initial rough-in inspection on the on the electrical side, and when the inspector first came, he was very happy with everything. You know, he just he wanted to come back and see the final. So he came back to do the final inspection. We were like a week and a half away from tenants moving in, and he noticed that he forgot to tell us we needed to change our service from a 100 amp to a 200 amp service. So what he misunderstood, uh, we applied for, for it to be a two unit and he thought he was coming to inspect a single unit. Um, oh, is so that right? He more or less told us it was, you should have known better and that he is really sorry that he missed it, but we now have to change it. So the problem we had is that the basement was completely finished. So now we were talking about taking some of the ceiling down to run new wiring and you know, to get the new hydro wires in and change the panel and all of that stuff. So I was uh, less than impressed with that. Uh, it caused me a, a couple of weeks of some pretty serious stress and arguing with the wife and screaming on the phone. But regardless, we were at their mercy. So that was probably the worst part for us. Yeah, and, and it was a really big eye-opener because when we went looking for our, our next project, uh, of course, we're looking at panels and we're noticing, you know, we know now what is a hundred versus a two hundred, um, and now we know if an inspector comes in, we have to say, okay, we know it has to be two hundred. So can you please confirm that? 
The unfortunate part is that when we did the first one, we didn't know, and we were relying on his expertise, which just didn't come. An important point, though, to to um, make note of here is that I have had. It depends on the inspector that comes through because one will tell you one thing and one will tell you another. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about electrical inspector inspector or a building inspector or, or whoever it may be, a plumbing inspector. Some of them will allow something and then you go and do it the same the next time and they'll come in and say, no, 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 you, this isn't, this isn't going to work. And you say, well, the other guy said it was okay. And they'll just say, well, I'm saying it's not. So who, yeah, I'm the really- inspector. You got to do what I say. That's the end of the story. Yeah, and that's so. I mean, because how do you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I guess you just got to be prepared for those little surprises. I'm sure most of us run into them. At the same time, though, it is like I, just speaking from experience myself, I have done several conversions where I wasn't wasn't uh, required to change it over to 200. Interesting. So wow, so different. Yeah, but you know, you you are at the mercy of whoever is the quote unquote authority over whatever it is you're talking about. So yeah, so we um we actually, and I don't know if we touched on this. We it was not legalized when we purchased it, and we went through the process to legalize it. And I know every township and city is different, but that also brings in a different layer. So if you if you're purchasing a lease that's already legalized, any renovations you do are going to be at a very different level than if you're going through the process to fully legalize it. Um, this is also something to take into consideration because it just adds another layer of work and another layer of inspectors that are going to need to come through. Mm-hmm. So that that should be noted that for anybody taking on that type of a project, there is a difference between something that's already legalized and maybe it needs some updating versus something that needs to be legalized. But it also adds a, another layer of forced appreciation as well when you're doing something on the scope that you guys did because you are literally changing the use of the property. And so now when the bank goes back in to reassess it, it's not the same thing as it was when you bought it. Exactly. That is another way of allowing you guys, which I think you did, I'm not even sure if what, what stage you're at with that, but it allowed you to pull out more money than you probably would have if you just, say, replaced some cabinets in the kitchen or whatever it was, yeah. and then uh, called it an illegal basement suite. Actually, you're right. And um, everyone we spoke to uh, said to going through the process of converting it from you know a single unit to a two unit legally will increase the value of your home way more than anything else. Um, and I don't want to scare anyone away because the legalization process, uh, in our case through the city of Oshawa, was actually fairly seamless. We did do our homework, but they also guided us. And the two people at the city permit department were great and extremely helpful. I think what you need to do if, if you're getting into that is make sure you put time aside to actually go and visit them face to face because you get way more information that way. That's a good point. So that would, would that be your lesson that uh, you think was the most valuable? Yeah, I think that really helps. The, the fact that we went in person, I want to say two, maybe three times that really helped. And yes, it's a pain because you know, you have to cut, 
your work day in half to make your way out to the city, but their wealth of knowledge was great, and they pointed us in directions that we were not aware of. Perfect. Okay. Well, well thanks for sharing great. that. Yeah, that's something I found here in Hamilton too. Is another was extremely useful to go in person. It cut it'll cut down weeks weeks in your schedule just knowing what you actually really need to do rather than broken telephone all day long. Absolutely. Yeah, we got um, we got inspections a lot quicker. I I feel like they were a lot quicker because I was able to in person whip out my calendar. They had theirs and and it was booked that day. So, I Sandy, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything you'd change next time going through this this whole process? Is there one or two things that you'd uh, that you'd do differently? Um, I think we would look into increased soundproofing. We went on minimum spec for soundproofing, and if I don't think it's enough. Like if I was to live in the basement, you can you can still hear the people upstairs. So I'd probably try to go like a little above and beyond if I was going to invest. More money than we needed into something. I think that would be part of it. Would be soundproofing, separate the units. Yeah, we did the minimum, but I, I mean, it's minimum. It's called minimum for a reason, <laughs> and we yeah. we now know that. I mean, we haven't had any major complaints, but you know, there is that sound issue, and for some people, they can't handle it. Right? So I don't know. I was doing something differently. We probably did a little more than we should have with the first one, just because we didn't know. What to do? Like you know, we redid all new trim and we repainted every room, and it, it was—it's literally two like a brand new apartment when we were finished. I think I'm going to continue down that road just based on the reactions we were getting from people when we were showing them the unit. You know, we heard things such as, "Oh, this is one of the nicest apartments we've seen in Oshawa in a long time," or the cleanest. And, and it's the cleanest. And then the tenants we actually did rent to made a comment that kind of upset me, but in a good way. They <laughs> said, "Darren, we actually would have paid you more." For this, because of what you know, of what we've seen. So, when you have, you know, when you're getting anywhere from 18 to 20 showings on a weekend, and you've just listed it on the Friday, it's, you know, it says a lot about the work that we did, and that, you know, kind of makes makes it feel like it's worth it. I feel like my design skills have contributed to. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. Well, I'll have to get you to design just, my next one then. I, you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> New side business. There you go. So would you say that's your advice for others doing their first project is renovate to the right level? I mean, or, or maybe a little above where they think they should? I think if it's a matter of, you know, that just that little bit extra and, and you can afford it. I mean, I'm not recommending that anybody go bankrupt to get it to a high end scale. But if you have it in your budget to do a little bit extra, um, you know, you were planning on painting one room, maybe you're painting all of the rooms. You know, little things like that make a huge difference. And one thing, my biggest piece of advice, and Rob, you know me, so you'll find this funny, is make sure it's clean. Clean, clean, clean. People love to see a clean place when you're showing it. And that doesn't take, that doesn't cost much. No, it doesn't. That's perfect. Okay, great. Well, guys, you know what? Uh, okay, and so safe to say that it worked out well and you guys are happy and, and the refis went through and everything, right? Yes, it went really well. Yep. Um, I Honestly, I believe that the whole financial side of this is probably one of the most stressful portions. The actual renovations 
or and the inspections are way easier than trying to figure out what the financial world needs from you to get this all done. Um, but you have to be patient. <laughs> financial institutions and banks are in their own world, and sometimes they are speaking Greek. But you have to roll with the punches in order to get things to move through, and you have to be patient for that part. We had a tough time with our second one. It was down to the wire for financing, and all because information was misunderstood and lost, and you know that can make it a little difficult too. The renovations so far have been way easier. And that part up okay. it's not getting any easier. I don't think it's just going to get more challenging, more complex. I mean, they're showing me reports, and I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> so, but you guys did well, and yep. And you're going on to the next one, and congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, we're halfway through the next one, so getting there. I, I appreciate you guys taking your time out, and uh, I know I forced you to do it, so so I don't know. I'll have to thank you, give you a thank you card or something like that, eh? Yeah. Maybe something a little more. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> What's the discount? Yeah. Real estate fee discount. That'll work. Excuse me? Yeah. I think we're breaking up. Yeah. What? Awesome. Huh? Huh? That's hot? <laughs> we're losing it. <laughs> uh, Sandy, do you want to tell people how to get in touch with you? Uh, sure, yeah. If anyone wants to reach out and, and uh, want some help over here in the Hamilton area, I uh, can reach out to me on my uh, my uh, direct lines, 416-567-3866. Don't hesitate to give us a call. And people can reach me at 289-927-0464, as well as anyone can reach us at our email for the show. It is info at breakthroughreipodcast.ca. Have a great day, everybody. All right, guys. I appreciate it. Have a great night, okay? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, guys. Oh, yeah, no problem. That was really good. Oh, thanks. You're the first ones that didn't hang up when we said goodbye. <laughs> oh, well, I, you know why? Because the, We were talking before. Yeah, we were talking before, but also because your pictures are still up. <laughs> yeah, but everyone else just hung up when we said goodbye. Maybe they don't like you, Rob. Maybe. <laughs> Is Sandy still here? Yeah, he's still here. Yeah, I'm oh, still here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there you are. There you are. So, um, so you're out in Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton. Oh, you're not allowed to talk to him, guys. <laughs> Why not? We don't go to Hamilton so, right. often. We're okay. We're okay. <laughs> Breaking up again. Yeah, yeah.